Hello guys, welcome to the 12th episode of the Philip Deterrent podcast where I interview Carlo Fedeli. Uh, he's an Italian living in London and trying to revolutionize how we store stuff and go away from plastic to using seaweed. So this whole podcast episode is literally about seaweed and its applications for holding stuff, for food for it, it, it's insane how many applications seaweed has and you're going to learn that in this episode so it's basically an episode talking about the future and the future which is a future of seaweed um sounds bizarre but very interesting and i think you're going to learn a lot from this episode it's definitely one of the most entertaining ones um so um yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode i'll see you in the next one hey hello carlo <laughs> how are you Fine, and you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How is your uh, week? How is your day? How, uh, how have things been? Good, good, good. Just feeling quite tired today, to be honest. Uh, just coming towards the end of the week, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. Productive? Productive week? Enough, yeah. You? Okay. Uh, also, I suppose, uh, most weeks, I think, recently have been productive. I think I'm, I'm, on, good, I'm on good work form. I'm, I'm in good form. Um, so yeah, definitely. So... Welcome to the pod, first of all, uh, official introduction. Uh, how about we start off and uh, you introduce yourself, you know, to my, to me, although you did it before, but also to the audience. Uh, tell us about what you do, what your background is, and uh, and why you came to speak with me today. Sure, sure. So uh, my name is Carlo. Uh, I'm an Italian living in London, CEO and co-founder of Flexi. Uh, Flexi being uh, my, my startup, so the um, London-based startup developing uh, biomaterials from seaweed. Uh, mm-hmm. My background is, is not the typical chemistry background or biomaterial background you might expect. Uh, I'm at business studies, so uh, I did my bachelor's in management and uh, I work and uh, my um, master's in innovation, entrepreneurship and management at Imperial. And I decided to start a company whilst finishing my master over there. Nice, nice. And what made you start it? What was, what was the what and why? Uh, what, what were like? What was the trigger to to start a junior studies? So I've always been very interested in everything sustainability, which is mm-hmm. the heart of what we're doing. Because we're developing a biomaterial from seaweed, which can truly decompose in nature, is home compostable, is even potentially carbon negative once it's produced because of the CO two intake of seaweed. So it's all things that pertain to my interests. Uh, mm-hmm. At the same time, it just happened that around uh, January, January, February 2020, I got interested into uh, bioplastics in general. It's something that I was mm-hmm. reading into, getting interested in. And then when COVID hit, I was back home. Uh, I left. I went back home to, well, to, to lockdown, really. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was finishing my master's. Everything was shut here, so I might as well go home. And um, I realized the amount of plastic coming home, and I had a lot of time on my hands. So I decided to explore a project to try and make things better and throughout lockdown I I transformed my, my house into a lab and uh, by the end of mm-hmm. lockdown I had a very first early prototype of, of what we're doing now uh, it's, mm-hmm. let's say that it's different than what it was back then what the product we have today but the, mm-hmm. the basics the the skeleton if you like is is there so that's that's mm-hmm. how it started really so when you were doing your market research and you were looking for plastic alternatives, uh, why did you specifically pick seaweed? And what were the alternatives? So can you t- can you tell us about like because obviously this is so many people are trying to solve the plastic problem. I think everybody's aware of how much plastic we produce. It's crazy and how big of a problem we have with it. So I'm sure you, like you know a lot about 
the various potential solutions uh, out there. Uh, so can you tell us about which, what they are, what are the benefits, what are the drawbacks, and why you went with seaweed in the end? Yes, so uh, I was looking at existing solutions to, to plastic, so what's out there? So one of the solutions for packaging is you want to replace plastic with paper, but that's a big hurdle because you have to actually replace all packaging machinery within the packaging chain and supply chain. Mm -hmm. So that's a big sort of expenditure that companies will have to bear. Uh, then you have plastic, other kind of plastic alternatives like bioplastics. Uh, the issue of bioplastics on the market today is that they're all derived from uh, some form of a food crop or a starch-based uh, material, whether it's a vegetable or food waste, whatever. But they're all derived from food crop, which means that they are in direct competition with food production. And mm -hmm. also, as these crops grow, so the bigger ones are, for example, sugarcane, sugar beet, potato, uh, cassava in certain parts of the wor world, rice. Uh, mm -hmm. Think of a starchy vegetable, you can make bioplastic out of it. Uh, and these all require fresh water and arable land, which are two increasingly scarce resources. And throughout their life, they also need to be assisted with pesticides and fertilizers, which, I mean, aren't the, the nicest chemicals out there in most cases. Mm -hmm. And the end mm -hmm. result is not even truly compostable. It is what we call mm -hmm. industrially compostable. So it will not actually disappear in nature, it will not degrade in nature, it will stay there maybe not as long as petroleum-based plastic, but will stay there for mm -hmm. a very long time. Um, mm -hmm. It needs to be brought to specific industrial composting facilities, which are very scarce and for which the post-consumption collection service uh, and infrastructure is actually lacking. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, most of this plastic, um, the PLA, basic, mostly polylactic acid is the most common bioplastic out there. Uh, it's so similar to plastic, it actually ends up in the recycling bins. And so if and when it is brought to recycling facilities, because it's not plastic, it actually has contaminated the plastic batch. And so that means that that whole batch will have to be incinerated. So it's actually counterproductive mm -hmm. in that sense as well. And talking about recycling, that's sort of the third alternative out there. It is just not a viable solution, at least today. Um, again, when you look at, uh, for example, PLA collection, I mentioned infrastructure is lacking for post-consumption. With recycling, the infrastructure exists. But because it's relying so hard on what consumers do once they use up their resource, whether it's a plastic film, a plastic box, or whatever, mm -hmm. it's really hard to get consumers to do the right thing. And for mm -hmm. this reason, global recycling rates are averaging between 7 and 9%, which means mm -hmm. you have more than 90% chance of your plastic, assuming you've put it in the recycling bin, it mm -hmm. will not be collected for recycling or it will be collected and then incinerated because it's too dirty or too thin or just not mm -hmm. right after the recycling facility. So recycling mm -hmm. also is not a solution. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, we need plastic because plastic is vital in many applications. I'm not here to mm -hmm. demonize plastic. I mean, plastic is a great material. It lasts pretty much forever. It's super resistant to um, uh, weather, temperatures, chemicals, whatever. It's indestructible. And mm -hmm. this biggest strength is also its biggest flow, in a sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so good, you can't get rid of it. Well, we're using it for applications where we're literally getting rid of it after we only use it once. And that mm -hmm. once often is within a few weeks of the product being made. So it just doesn't mm -hmm. make sense. So I thought mm -hmm. maybe for certain applications, we can use a biomaterial, which is not derived from those food crops, which require mm -hmm. all those scarce resources and are also in competition mm -hmm. with food production. And that has an end of life, which even if it goes in nature, it will actually decompose. And we're looking to seaweed. There were companies doing some sort of bioplastic from seaweed, all in sort of research or very, very low scale. But they were using uh, kelp and brown seaweed, which mm -hmm. is a less, it's a 
kind of seaweed which is less uh, available out there from farm sources. Uh, when you look at globally the seaweed industry, you have roughly 50% of the seaweed industry being red seaweed, so the Rhodophyta family. Um, the remaining 50% being split with roughly 35% brown and 15% green, uh, mm -hmm. where brown seaweed is actually mostly taken from nature. Either it is because of washed up seaweed on shores, like we see the sargassum blooms in the Caribbean, for example, or from kelp forests. Kelp cultivation exists by its limited scale. Uh, mm -hmm. Red seaweed, most of it, like over 90% of it is actually cultivated and it's more available, also tends to be slightly cheaper. So if we, let's try and do it with red seaweed. Um, the polymers are different. We can make them interact with different chemicals, see how that goes. and it was basically try and error. Like I went through about mm -hmm. 100 different iterations of it in four months. I had a lot of times on my hands, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, I mean, that's one of the beauty of lockdown, I guess. One of the only mm -hmm. beauties of lockdown. So you said so many things there. There's so much to unpack and there are so many questions. Uh, the, the first thing I want to I ask is when you were looking at the market, um, you you basically gave your view there on biopolymers, right? So any you, you say that, okay, it, compete with food crops I, I think this is pretty um i think pretty easy to see why right it's a, it's a biopolymer like this is like a, a carbon-based food source right so there's a very high probability that you need to grow it in the ground right so i think it's very hard to debate that but when you talk about decomposition of, of the polymers are you talking about all biopolymers or are you talking about specific is there like is there differences is there better and worse biopolymers did you did you have a when you when you were compared to seaweed did you have some that are like really really bad some that are really really good uh, i had to actually guess who does who works in biopolymers so i'd be very interested to hear let's say an outside perspective on it i think you know for the sake of my education and the audiences i would love to hear what what, what are your thoughts on that yeah so when you look at seaweed itself there's no bad biopolymer like seaweed is natural uh and when you work with biopolymers from seaweeds, unless you modify them to some extent, which we don't, and to my knowledge, others don't either, uh, seaweed biopolymers on their own will decompose just as well as a piece of seaweed on a shore eventually. Um, how long does that I, take? Sorry, uh, how long does that take? I'm not sure about the seaweed itself, but for us, our material decomposes within 12 weeks uh, in uh, soil, marine conditions, freshwater systems. Uh, through a process of hydrolysis, really, and as long as there is some sort of moisture, bacterial activity, natural bacterial activity, and uh, oxygen present, it will decompose. Uh, mm -hmm. If you look at seaweed on shore, it probably takes longer, uh, but that is due to other things in the seaweed. But eventually, it does decompose. I mean, it's a natural process, right? Plants mm -hmm. grow, germinate, die, and eventually go back to carbon. So that's part of the cycle. That's not disruptive. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. When you look at uh, biopolymers and seaweed in specific, you have some biopolymers which behave better with uh, dry applications, as it work better with wet or uh, higher moisture applications. Uh, mm -hmm. When you look at our red seaweed biopolymers that we use, those are the ones that work better with dry applications, hence what we're trying to develop. Uh, brown seaweed, uh, when you work with alginates, you tend to work a lot with wet, polymer, wet uh, contents within your packaging as well, which is actually good because it means that there's no one size fits all. So eventually there will be uh, different biopolymers, different companies developing different films or packaging forms that will be able to serve various parts of the market, various segments of the industry. And that's what we need. 
-hmm. when you look at biopolymers overall so going back to existing bioplastics that are currently on the market which are now in research uh you have the polylactic acid that i mentioned um when they put those in um in nostril composting facilities you're exposed to high temperatures in natural temperatures so we're talking 60 mm -hmm. 70 degrees celsius plus and they also do add uh, artificial addition of uh bacterial um bacteria and microbes to actually facilitate the decomposition so that's mm -hmm. an artificial um environment that is created mm -hmm. you do have other uh, biopolymers on the market but, but to a very limited extent i'd say the only ones that actually are truly home compostable and could be a viable solution will be the phas and the phbs uh, mm -hmm. which will decompose in nature the issue with that is that uh, PHA and PHB, uh, PHA in the specific, is a technology which has been known for many years. It was developed in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. But to mm -hmm. this date, it's very hard to scale up commercially because it's very expensive to produce. And also mm -hmm. it has some material properties which are undesirable in many applications. So it tends to be very brittle mm -hmm. or not very transparent. So for that reason, the production of PHAs and PHBs and their applications are very limited. So questions. Uh, I as <laughs> Speaking to a layperson, uh, what is PHA and PHB? Can you can you somehow relate it to something in nature that I would understand? Uh, can can you explain more? Like what what is what is grown for the PHAs and PHB? What what, what do we take at the ground? Sure. So uh, PHA stands for polyhydroxyalkanoate, and PHB is polyhydroxybutyrate. Um, they're part of the same family. They're actually produced through uh, bacterial fermentation. So mm -hmm. what you do is you feed them some form of starch, again, whether mm -hmm. it comes from some food crop, even food waste, uh, people do microalgae as well, they start to starch. And essentially you feed this, this starch and sugary base to uh, <laughs> special bacteria and microbes. And uh, as these microbes grow, they mm -hmm. like when we eat, if we eat a lot, uh, we store our energy as fat these microbes mm -hmm. grow and store their energy as pha and phb mm -hmm. and essentially mm -hmm. once they've fattened up enough you extract mm -hmm. the pha and phb from them so basically feed bacteria bread and <laughs> and then boom <laughs> you have a plastic replacement <laughs> that's, the, that's the, the competition in lay people's uh, terms so just to finish off on biopolymers if you were like outside of, of seaweed and we'll get back to seaweed in a second but if you were to pick a biopolymer that's not seaweed if you, if you had to like accept for seaweed what would you pick what would be your second choice oh that's a good question um i think there is there's promising results with uh bacterial cellulose so uh, cellulose but it's derived from bacteria um mm -hmm. But it's very expensive today, so it's, uh, again, very limited. There's no real commercial application to the state because of how expensive it is to produce. But it would mm -hmm. be a very uh, a very good alternative, I think. And to be fair, even PHAs and PHBs, I mean, they work. They're just very expensive to produce. And if yeah. someone cracks mm -hmm. that nut, it's definitely a viable, mm -hmm. application, a viable solution for certain applications. It's very interesting. Uh, I think the guy that was on this podcast, uh, Rudy Patel, he, I think he literally is doing this. So I recommend you 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 listen to it. It'd be very interesting. Like the two the two sides of uh, of plastic alternatives. And when you talk about cellulose, uh, for the audience, um, I think most people wouldn't know if they don't have a background in biology. But cellulose is what makes up cell walls uh, in plants. So I think they'll be extremely trippy. <laughs> That we we now hold random stuff like packaging of like the same stuff that like the hard stuff of plants is made of. You know that'll be extremely yeah. trippy. Uh, very interesting. Um, but yeah, so back to seaweed. 
Um, and tell me, <laughs> just because I thought of it now, is there cellulose in seaweed? Just a random, random question. The, there is some within the seaweed cell structure, mm -hmm. but we don't <laughs> use it. Okay, so it's not really not really the main thing. Okay, so time to dive deep into seaweed. First of all, and I ask this question to every entrepreneur, why is it that no one has been building stuff, or maybe not on the, I mean, maybe there's some that have been building stuff with seaweed in the past, but why hasn't seaweed become mainstream yet, if it's so good, like you say? What's, what has been stopping humanity from, from exploring the application? What people don't realize is seaweed actually is rather mainstream but you don't know it so mm -hmm. uh, when you go into your shower and you use a uh, liquid shampoo when uh, you eat uh, some yogurts or puddings or chocolate milk um, you are eating seaweed derivatives like seaweed additives <laughs> are in many many different things uh, mm -hmm. whether we're talking thickeners and emulsifiers or whether we're talking about uh, pigments we're talking about lipids a lot of um, Omega-3, for example, there's a lot of companies developing omega-3 from um, microalgae and phytoplankton, because that's where it comes from originally. Mm -hmm. People say mm -hmm. salmon and fatty fish have a lot of omega-3s. Well, guess what? Where do they get their fat? From the smaller fish they eat. And what do those small fish eat? Phytoplankton. Seaweed. They're all <laughs> there. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Uh, but why, why not in packaging? So, okay, in the... So, it has useful chemicals. We've been using them for a long time. Why has never, no one decided, oh, yeah, let's do packaging? Um, I think packaging has a slower adoption rate because it's harder to get into the supply chain. We're talking very big contracts, very big numbers. So mm -hmm. you need to be able to commit to a certain amount of supply before you can actually be viable. Uh, and that's what we're working to be in the future, of course. But the thing is, the seaweed industry has grown exponentially as well in the past 15 years. It's been basically mm -hmm. doubling every five years and it's mm -hmm. predicted to carry on doing so, if not even better. You have a lot of countries who have big plans to expand their potential. If you look about the amount of coastlines that we have out there, which are unexploited, you could grow so much seaweed and companies and uh, governments are realizing the potential of this. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a market which, as I said, has been exploited, but it's going to be exploited even more in the future. And mm -hmm. as this market is growing, you have more sectors deriving from them. And uh, mm -hmm. people realize the potential of going into the seaweed uh, industry and seeing how many applications mm -hmm. you could have with it, one of which is packaging. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, amazing. So the, the future is, uh, is made of seaweed. <laughs> do, you, do you think so? I think seaweed has a lot, a lot of applications in the future, um, mainly also as, as food supply uh, goes. Um, if you look at the population increasing so rapidly. I mean, you can grow seaweed in under two months. You can have a harvest and it doesn't require any pesticides, fertilizers, uh, inputs, uh, fresh water at all, even uh, arable land. I mean, it grows in salt water, which is a pretty hard place to grow things in if you're not seaweed, right? So mm -hmm. it is rich in uh, proteins, lipids, um, even carbohydrates. It is really important. And even when you look at what we're doing right now, when we extract our biopolymers from the seaweed, you're left over with a whole lot of things. So when you harvest seaweed, you generally dry it. And once you dry it, you do the mm -hmm. extraction. And we harvest between 15 and 30% dependent species uh, of mm -hmm. our uh, biopolymers. And that only represents mm -hmm. less than a third of the overall seaweed weight. In the mm -hmm. rest, in the remaining 70%, if not more, there still are all the lipids, proteins, biostimulants, 
pigments, uh, even cellulose, uh, fibers, you name it, everything is there, vitamins, that can still be used and have a lot of other purposes. Um, mm -hmm. Today, normally, most of it, once you do the extraction of those biopolymers, is sold off as animal feed or uh, soil remediation because it takes in a lot of water, so it can help um, grow plants and uh, agriculture in places which are normally scarce in uh, water supply. So they will take in a lot of water, mm -hmm. store it, and yeah, you have to think that seaweed, once you dry it, loses about 90 to 95% of its weight. So it stores mm -hmm. up a lot of water when there's literally a sponge. Um, mm -hmm. But as I said, it has a lot of these valuable things inside, which in the future will definitely be harvested per sort of segment of the seaweed crop. So there will mm -hmm. be a lot of exploitation in that sense. There is a future in seaweed, definitely. Do you think in the future there's going to be like large-scale seaweed farms? <laughs> and yes. how would that work? <laughs> this is really the, the next section. The next section of the, of the interview I really want to dive deep into is like, okay, how do you how do you access the seaweed? How do you what's your supply chain of seaweed? Number one, and then number two, we talk about these large-scale seaweed plantations. It is so trippy. Like, are they going to be underwater? How is it going to work? So, uh, enlighten us, please. Yes, there's no seaweed plantations. There will definitely be large-scale, and there are already large-scale seaweed plantations. Um, in our uh, case, when you talk about red seaweed, you're talking about, uh, for most cases, subtropical and tropical species of seaweed. So the biggest producers for us are countries like Indonesia and Philippines, and general Southeast mm -hmm. Asia is the biggest producer and exporter. Uh, even Vietnam, Malaysia, India, as well as beginning. Uh, they have a lot of production and also on the eastern coast of Africa. So in uh, Tanzania, Madagascar, they're also growing a lot, uh, similar in the northern parts of Africa towards uh, Morocco, although Morocco tends to harvest more than cultivate, and even Tunisia, um, Chile. It, there are a lot of places where seaweed is grown. Where you grow seaweed is, is pretty simple. Generally, the traditional method, it's simply you put a stick on the beach and a stick somewhere out uh, down the shoreline and you put a rope between the sticks and you tie a piece of seaweed to the rope at regular intervals. Um, sure. And basically you that piece of seaweed will grow in as long as it's in the water. Obviously you can't do it too deep because it requires photosynthesis to grow mm -hmm. seaweed. So if you go deeper down the water, you have less solar rays penetrating. So it needs to be towards the surface so it can access that sun, which is beneficial to it. And uh, when you harvest it, roughly 45 days later, you can have about six harvests a year, uh, which is really, really good if you compare it to land crops like sugarcane, which requires up mm -hmm. to two years to be ready mm -hmm. to harvest, uh, corn about nine months, so it's, it's much, much faster. Uh, you basically <laughs> cut off the piece of seaweed that you need, and as long as you leave a tiny bit on the on the rope, that through vegetative propagation will grow back again. What the fuck? This is a big deal because like, I think the big advantage of that is that there's no land use. Like we actually have a very big problem when it comes to land use. Like obviously, mm -hmm. as you know, uh, with our work at Tree Nation, one of the, <laughs> the main problem that we're solving before we're solving climate change is solving deforestation, right? Because we lose actually net on approximately 10 billion trees every single year. And that's just to run the economy normally. And if you were to extrapolate those numbers, basically by the end of the century, you would have no more rainforests. And by the end of the mm -hmm. next century, you would have no more trees, right? And we actually still need to increase the human population. Apparently the um, the, the control, uh, I forgot the term for this in, uh, in ecology, uh, but the, the basically the, the number of people that 
the Earth can't sustain is around 11 billion, apparently. So if you consider that we're around 8 billion and we're already losing 10 billion trees a year just to like live our life, you know, um, I think it shows you the need to find new ways to uh, to sustain this population. Because the reason why we have deforestation is because majority of land is already taken up by for farming, for food production, right? Mm -hmm. And the easiest land to reclaim so you can grow more food would be the land that's covered with trees, right? Because all the other land that's like not covered with anything has already been taken up, right? Or you can't grow anything there for various reasons related to the soil and, and, and the climate. So what you're suggesting um, as a, a, sea, a seaweed future, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the future of seaweed would potentially like in, increase so you can you can eat seaweed as well right I, i'm aware that you can eat seaweed right what like what can you let's talk about all of the applications of seaweed because if you consider the fact that it solves the land use problem right basically right it it, it basically it, we, we start to be able to use the oceans and the seas and the coasts right to uh as some kind of source of production of first what you're saying a replacement for plastic and also food which is which is the main thing that we're using land for um do you do you see what i'm saying and what, what are your thoughts about the seaweed future what's the potential uh, of seaweed as a material for humanity in your eyes well i'll tell you something uh, and you know this because of what you do mm -hmm. if you're to cut down a patch of forest to create a plot of land where you're going to grow your your vegetables or whatever basically agriculture yes. or uh -huh. pastures even worse uh, you're losing trees, you're damaging the soil, and uh, you're, you're using fresh water. If you're taking mm -hmm. a piece of, a piece, a stretch rather, of coast, and you're doing your seaweed plantation there, you're not using fresh water, you're not using land, you're not depleting land. Uh, mm -hmm. If there is some sort of, some form of eutrophication from rivers flowing into the sea, well, guess what? The seaweed will take in that nitrogen, those excess nutrients, and actually grow faster. Mm -hmm. It will promote ecosystems underwater because, of course, the seaweed brings in fish and fish bring in more fish and so on. So it actually promotes as if it was an sort of artificial uh, bar reef, not really a reef, but it creates an ecosystem. Again, mm -hmm. if you were to cut down the trees and create a plot of land for agriculture, you're destroying the ecosystem, decreasing mm -hmm. biodiversity. Seaweed promotes mm -hmm. biodiversity. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, if you, again, doing the parallel, if you do agriculture, the trees take in carbon dioxide and so do the plants for which you grow uh like grow through your agriculture but to a much limited extent because you're, they're not as densely growing as a forest would so there actually is less plant volume less plant biomass seaweed takes in carbon as it grows because it photosynthesizes just like a plant would so it takes in uh, carbon dioxide and with sunlight creates oxygen not only does it take carbon dioxide but it takes carbon dioxide that is in the water so mm -hmm. this carbon dioxide as it goes into the water dissolves into carboxylic acid and mm -hmm. which is the main reason for uh, coral reefs uh, basically melting down i mean coral reef coral mm -hmm. is made of calcium carbonate and if you react with an acid it will fizz and melt away so mm -hmm. seaweed actually decreases ocean acidification as well mm -hmm. uh, there really is no negative it seems almost too good to be true but that is the truth and if everyone mm -hmm. if governments were to realize the potential that seaweed has uh, for the cultivation because of its applications, but also because of its positives uh, that, it mm -hmm. that it comes with. I mean, the world really would be a better place. It really has a lot of potential. And whilst mm -hmm. a diet made entirely of seaweed probably wouldn't be 
than ISIS to eat. Uh, I'm sure it's just a matter of time before some very hip startup comes up with a meal replacement shake made out of seaweed, and that will be the end of it. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I mean, this is like this is amazing, but I have to admit, and I think you notice, it's also funny because it's seaweed. You know, like just this random thing that you would never think of, and which has so much potential. It's insane. So, do you think, based on what you just said, that you could use seaweed to like save the coral reef, for example? It's definitely not the solution, but it will definitely play a potentially a part. I mean, if you're contributing to the acidification of the oceans, you're mm -hmm. doing your part. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny to think if you want to make another funny joke that seaweed is the thing that as a kid you hate because it sticks to your legs as you leave the beach, but then it can actually be very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you should keep it on your leg and bring it home and, <laughs> and manufacture it. <laughs> Maybe bite into it, see if it's a nice dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. So, um, when it, did you think about uh, nutritious applications of seaweed? Like, if you consider, like, what if, if what your company could become in the future, right? Do you, do you think that you could do more applications of seaweed than just packaging? Uh, like, did, you, did this cross your mind? Because you'd be vertically integrated, uh, so it would, it would be easy to diversify like this. Did, did you think about this yet? So uh, did you investigate other things that you could do with seaweed potentially in the future with Flexi? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. It is within our plans to vertically integrate upstream eventually, um, mainly not to produce other uh, products from seaweed. Uh, that's at least what we think today. Everything is open, you never know. Uh, mm -hmm. But definitely to vertically integrate at least the extraction of the biopolymers from the seaweed. So right now mm -hmm. we buy those biopolymers as being pre-extracted because so our lab scale doesn't make sense for us to work with seaweed. I mean, it just saves up a step and the end result will be the same. However, in the future, we want to vertically integrate this. And as I mentioned earlier, there is technology being developed out there to actually be able to sequentially extract all your different components of the seaweed. So our biopolymers, but then also the lipids, vitamins, proteins, biostimulants, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when that becomes a reality, we definitely want to become part of that. Mm -hmm. So let's let's talk now a bit more about Flexi. So tell me again, share what you want to share. I think we should keep your confidentiality intact, like whatever business secrets you don't want to release, then don't. Uh, but what can you tell us about Flexi? What can you tell us about the stage we're at right now? Uh, when you want to plan to go to market? What are, let's say, the main challenges in, in the way? And what's the vision for the next 5, 10, 20 years, if that's how long you want to stay with it? So tell us, please. Sure. So right now, we're still in the, in the lab stage of doing research and development. So we're pre-commercial. Mm -hmm. We do not sell our material yet. And that is because mm -hmm. although we do have a material which uh, we really like, really we're really close to it, we, we dream of it. Uh, we're still not as good as we want it to be for the market. So we still have to improve certain characteristics of the material itself. And that's what we're doing day in and day out. So working in the lab, um, developing the material really. Uh, and we plan to be hopefully on the market of a finished material by the end of next year. That's sort of our mm -hmm. timeline. By then, uh, once that happens, we will go on and do basic development and hopefully what we want to do is license our uh, IP to companies who already are producing plastic out there because those mm -hmm. companies are facing the problem of consumers demanding more and more sustainable alternatives uh, for what they're doing now. So mainly mm -hmm. bio, uh, films of petroleum-based plastic, but they don't have a viable solution and we want to become the providers of that solution. 
-hmm. Speaking of IP, right now we have a patent pending uh, formulation and processing of our material, uh, and we will most definitely uh, file more patents down the line to improve on our formulations, have different variations of formulations for basic, uh, for different applications. If you want to look at applications of our material, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, we are better suited for dry applications. So dry applications mean uh, non-aqueous, so anything that is not water-based. We could do, for example, bags and pouches of uh, rice, pasta, pulses, beans, uh, single uh, dose, doses of uh, salt and sugar, uh, even honey, oil. Um, but then also in the dry applications, we have non-food items. And that's mm -hmm. also a very huge market, which we actually plan to exploit earlier because it's easier to get into. It's less regulated. You don't need the accreditations. And our material right now is so natural because of what we put in it. So both the seal polymers and all the other additives that we use are actually classified as food additives, both by the EFSA in Europe and the, EF and the FDA in the US. So to make it short, our material is so natural, we can eat it literally, mm -hmm. and we've done mm -hmm. that. I'm alive, so I can tell you, we can definitely do that. Um, you ate some? I have, I have, yeah, three different stages of development. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, cool. That, that's, that's, that's probably not what you want to do with packaging eventually, because mm -hmm. the packaging <laughs> supply chain is not very hygienic. Uh -huh, um, yeah. You don't know where your uh, pack of pasta has been by the time it gets home. I mean, it's been supermarket shelves, people have picked it up, put it down, uh, warehouses, don't even want to think about it. I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I, I would wash my hands after I touch it, let alone eat it. But yeah. the fact that you can eat the material for us is the ultimate proof of biodegradability. You know, it's so natural, even mm -hmm. our body can handle it. Could you feed a dog? Sorry for interrupting. Could you feed a pet? I mean, animals are part of the living things that can eat it, obviously. Yes. Uh, that's mm -hmm. actually one of our key selling points is that, as I said, we can eat it and we wouldn't want to eat it because it's not hygienic, but you can eat it. Similarly, if the mm -hmm. plastic ends up in the ocean and a turtle comes by and eats it before it is biodegraded, it will pass through its body naturally just as food. So mm -hmm. that's sort of our really good points out there. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was talking before, uh, sorry, I go off on tangents. I was talking yeah, before about uh, <laughs> non-food dry applications. You think, for example, um, IKEA, when they sell you the furniture, they're full of those little bags of single-use screws and nails and bolts, and that's a perfect application for what we're doing. Uh, similarly, when you go into the hospitality sector, uh, you go into a hotel, in the hotel room, you'll find your slippers in a plastic bag. You go to the bathroom and you have your uh, coat, um, cotton uh, buds in plastic, your toothbrush in plastic, your soap in plastic, everything. That's also something we can do. And that can mm -hmm. also be expanded to, uh, as I said, hotels, but also hospitals, cruise ships, airlines. We want to get in there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So how would this look like? Let's say I go to Ikea, right? And mm -hmm. I go get some nails, right? What would, the, what, would, what, what would the packaging look like? How do you envision it to look? Well, ideally, and that's the case today, and it will stay our, the case most likely, uh, you won't really see a difference. Uh, the good thing is that Whoa. our material looks a lot like plastic. I mean, it feels and looks and behaves like plastic. It's heat sealable, it's transparent, it's, it's really, we like to call it a seamless solution to plastic pollution. Mm -hmm. Basically, mm -hmm. you can one. live <laughs> in your life, do your thing as you do today, but you'll just decrease the harm that your consumption does to the planet eventually because mm -hmm. of our material. That's sort of our philosophy. Uh, one thing that we always say is that 
people love innovation but hate change because change mm -hmm. implies an active role in what you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. We want to be a passive innovation where you mm -hmm. keep doing what you do, you don't change your habits, you don't change your whatever you do day mm -hmm. to day, but the impact of what you do changes because what you're using changes, although you don't actually have to do an active change for that. Mm -hmm. If it makes mm -hmm. sense. Yes, and I have a very specific question on this, right? So on uh, the, the passive innovation that you were saying with the, with the bag, um, in my opinion, right, and you, t you tell me what you think of it because you've probably thought of it. If you have those, those bags and they look nearly exactly like the IKEA bags, if you would add some small difference in how it looks, I don't know, some kind of stripes or something, don't you think it would make people be like, oh my God, look, we're so trendy. We're now using, using this like seaweed, uh, how are we going to call it plastic bag but seaweed seaweed bag right don't don't you think that um having like a slight difference in how it looks like will be a good thing because then people can more easily recognize that oh my god this is like not plastic like this is actually seaweed and then they would talk about it more did you think did you guys think about this what's your thoughts on that oh yes absolutely i mean that is down to the marketing potential of the material for the company using it uh, yes. i mean if ikea or whoever will be uh we're not sponsored by anyone, just putting that out there. <laughs> um, if whoever uses the plastic realizes that by putting printing something like that, but it's a recognizable uh, logo or whatever on their pouch and bag, whatever, the people will realize, oh, look, that's not plastic. It's natural. It's biodegradable. It's cool. Let's use it. We prefer this to petroleum-based. Let's do it. That's absolutely untapped marketing potential for them that they can go through. I mean, our material is personalizable. Uh, we can mm -hmm. color it, we can print it. So that is absolutely down to it. Uh, what we can't do, however, is have our material be just our material and limit what companies can do with it because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it is the company's product and packaging isn't mm -hmm. there to sell the product itself. It's there to help mm -hmm. deliver the product to the customer. So we cannot mm -hmm. become sort of the main label on the product. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I get you completely. Um, so it's kind of very similar to how they replaced plastic straws with paper straws uh, in McDonald's and Burger King, and they they look they're they're way less useful. Like I, as a, as a product, I would say that the straws are not that good um, compared to plastic straws. But you know that you you were using a, a, a paper straw. You know that's mm -hmm. the the main uh, idea behind it. So. Well, the future looks very, very interesting from everything that you're saying. So let's talk about roadmaps. And I know they're rough and I know how business startups work. Things get difficult, things, plans change, you pivot. Things nearly always take longer than, than you expect, <laughs> nearly in every yeah. case, right, from my experience. Uh, but tell me what, let's say, these banks, if all goes well, in what year can we see them in like a, an Ikea or any kind of shop like that? Yes, I mean, that, that's our plan eventually, to, to find companies that can use our material based on what they're doing today. As I said, mm -hmm. one size does not fit all, so you have to look at the specific applications. And if they want to use our material, hopefully we will find production partners strategically located in different places uh, that can produce our material and sort of serve their need. Um, when mm -hmm. you look at companies right now, they're buying the plastic from plastic suppliers, they wouldn't have to change what they're doing now. They just have to change the material to buy. But suppliers, hopefully, will be the same or at least the same procedure. That's our plan. Mm -hmm. And that's from a year and a half's time onwards. Of course, the longer the time, 
the more uh, will be, hopefully. In the meantime, we also plan to take out various versions of the material, whether it is um, because we might have to differentiate between food and non-food applications, um, different thicknesses, different sturdiness levels. Um, and down the line, there's also potential for us to use, uh, to explore, for example, uh, rigid and semi-rigids. Right now, we're, fo we're focusing just on flexible films um, for two reasons. Uh, simply because, by pure chance, that's what I started doing. This is the easiest thing I started doing in my home lab uh, a year and a half ago now, two years ago. Um, it is really is the simplest thing you can sort of develop at a very low chemistry grit scale. Uh, mm -hmm. But then also because it is the material, when you look at films, that is least recycled. So I mentioned before mm -hmm. the really low recycling rates. Uh, mm -hmm. Those actually are mostly made up of PET bottles because mm -hmm. they're quite sturdy. Uh, they get they clean in most cases because liquids can be cleaned off very, very easily. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a bit of plastic in them. Films, uh, they tend to be the dirtiest. And also um, they're so thin that there's barely any plastic within them. Um, mm -hmm. Not that they're not made of plastic. It's just it's a very little amount of plastic stretched over a large surface area. And because recycling, in the end of the day, I mean, it is a business, it's not worthy to take up that big volume for that little amount of plastic itself. So people, mm -hmm. recyclers, will not turn on their machines and put on the process because it's not economical enough for them when you compare it to semi-rigids like plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the future now a little bit further, and I, I, like, to, <laughs> I like to have these conversations with entrepreneurs, especially in the, uh, when you guys are like in your first couple of years, did you do you think like in 10 years in 20 years, right? What would be, do you have like an end goal or some kind of like success stage that you dream about? And what does that look like? And what kind of applications would you have for the seaweed? So I, I understand the bag leaves. I think they're awesome. Uh, and you know, anything like a poly pockets, I mean, that would be a very similar thing that you could do, although nobody uses pages anymore, actually, um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, but long term, let's say in the best case scenario, what kind of applications of seaweed would you be interested in producing? As in just non plastic, I mean, well, whatever. I mean, you 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 pick. I mean, what what's the in, in in ten years? So it's like some of the coolest things that you would like to do in ten years. Uh, well, assuming the plastic that we have right now is going well, and perhaps mm -hmm. other versions or variations of it are doing just as well. Uh, looking at the vertical integration of it, as I mentioned earlier, when you look at the extraction, we could perhaps be looking into supplements of uh, some type. So whether it's the omega threes or um, even using the waste, the end waste, even after all the extraction, the end waste to uh, produce some other sort of uh, material or composite, we'll have to see that. I mean, it's very abstract, to be fair, but that's the beauty of it, right? See, we yeah. have potential that you don't know where it's going to bring you tomorrow. It's, uh, it is that nice. Um, honestly, who knows? We might even get into seaweed cultivation itself one day. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, right now, what's the coolest idea in your head? Oof. Coolest <laughs> idea? I tend to focus on uh, on what we're doing right now and try and keep going. I know, but, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you have the thoughts now. Like now and then, it slips in. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The vertical integration has lots of potential also for decreasing overall pricing of, of everything. I mean, mm -hmm. seaweed isn't very expensive today, but if it becomes even cheaper down the line, it becomes an even bigger resource to tap into for, for all the reasons that we just discussed. So 
Mm-hmm. I think the vertical integration and perhaps the seaweed cultivation are the ones that sort of like brighten up a bit more in my eyes. Because um, mm-hmm. not only would you be helping what we're doing today, obviously, stimulate the industry, make it more mm-hmm. affordable, better integrated, but then you're also having all the positive connotations I mentioned earlier from the seaweed industry itself. So right now, we will be producing a plastic which solves the plastic issue, mm-hmm. but then if you cultivate the seaweed, you also have the fact that you're solving or at least decreasing a lot of other issues. Mm-hmm. So your dream is to control the seaweed supply chain. <laughs> okay, you can say that. <laughs> I, 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 it's amazing. Uh, so look, Carlo, this has been an amazing episode. Uh, I've learned, it was one of the most entertaining ones and educational ones for sure. And I think, uh, what you're doing is amazing and i think there's massive potential uh, in the future of of your company and the technology and seaweed in general I, I find it very inspiring um as i talk to these various entrepreneurs usually startup stage uh doing stuff in sustainability and there's so many solutions you know i mean like there's so many solutions to sustainability and you are really a big part of that solution and what you're driving forward uh, I would love to get behind in whichever way I can help. I mean, in addition to, to the podcast that we're doing today, I really believe in what you're doing. Um, and I really thank you for coming on the podcast and we should do this again sometime, uh, maybe in a couple of months. What do you think? Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we should definitely catch up and uh, see if what I said today is just a dream or maybe it could become a reality one day. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, fingers I really crossed. hope we can, we can My fingers it. are crossed for this. I mean, this is, sounds amazing. Um, all right then, Carlos. It's been a pleasure. I wish you the very best end of your day or evening. Uh, and uh, and yeah, that's it. So I'll let you know when it's out. Okay. Thank you very much, Philip. Right. Ciao, ciao, Carlo. Ciao. Bye-bye. Have a good day.